0: Dear friends, grace and peace to you from God our Father, and from the risen, living Lord Jesus Christ, who not only points the way to the truth and life, but comes to us to be for us the way, the truth, and the life. Amen. Jesus tells his disciples, do not let your hearts be troubled but that's not because he's giving them a pep talk. Now, pep talks have their place, but that's not what Jesus is giving here. This isn't a, you know, things look bad out there, but we can still make it work if we stick together and all pull our own weight kind of speech. He has no illusions that the disciples will be able to handle what is coming. After all, Judas just a few verses earlier, has already gone out to betray him. The die is cast, the cross is coming. And Peter just received word from Jesus' own mouth that he will deny Jesus three times before the night is over. Their camaraderie is falling apart and their world is beginning to crumble And as Jesus looks around the room and into the faces of his gathered disciples, he sees their troubled hearts and souls. He sees confused eyes that cannot believe what he is saying to them. And what's even worse is that in this current distress, Jesus tells them that he's going away. And they cannot come with him. Now he has been their master, their teacher, their leader. They have placed all their hopes upon him. They have left all of their previous lives to be found in him. And now everything seems to be coming apart at the seams. And he's headed for the hills. He won't be there for them. Where would they turn? It's not unlike how most of us deal with extreme hardships in life. In the thick of it all, we wonder if anyone can help us, if there's anyone even listening, if anyone can understand, if anyone can even come close to the trouble that we find ourselves in. And so we get angry, maybe at our friends or neighbors, maybe even at our family, That they haven't come close enough to help us, that they might be feeling as helpless as we do, but that doesn't help at all, does it? That they can't come close. And in a very real sense, hardship isolates us and makes us feel alone until someone is able to break through all of our fears and worries and speak to us and touch us and be near us. And help us. Jesus is going. However, he is not running away. He makes it very clear throughout the next few chapters of John that he is not abandoning them, leaving them, betraying them. That's what they do to him. But he will not leave them orphaned, he will not go too far. He is going, and that is a pretty key word here, but he is first going to prepare a place for them, not just to get away from them. It's a place in the Father's house, that famous mansion with many, many rooms and an inheritance beyond measure. And Jesus is going there to make a place for each of them. Now, as good as that sounds, there's still a problem, isn't there? There's the problem of finding the right way to the place. After all, it doesn't matter if you have a place in the mansion, a room in the house, if you can't get to the house. If you don't know the way there. That would be the same as being left to fend for yourself, isolated and alone with the promise of something better out there, but you've got to go and find it. And of course, Thomas picks right up on this. He knows it exactly. His question comes pouring right out. Lord, we don't know where you are going. We don't have a way to get there. Come on, Jesus. At least give us a map or some clues to follow. Indiana Jones could do that. Thomas speaks for all disciples, those in the room and us today who look to find God and want to find our way to God. This is the classic understanding of people on a search for God. There has to be a route of holiness. We just have to find it. There must be a pathway of peace if just we could walk it. There must be a narrow roadway of righteousness that few are able to find, but we have to keep searching, don't we? We know it's out there somewhere because there is a way, but it's up to us to find the trailhead and make our way. Perhaps you'll find your route out in nature among the beautiful forests and sunsets and rivers. It's a very popular place to go looking for God. In fact, When I hear people saying they found God, they're usually showing me a picture of a sunrise or a sunset. Isn't that amazing? It's an attractive idea because, of course, it lets you explore all the things you find beautiful and wonderful throughout the life. You get to explore your interests and say, that's so important to me. You get to highlight your favorite things and hopefully move beyond the harshness of this world into a place that you're more comfortable. I always find it interesting that people always seem to find God where they want to be rather than where God promises to find them in his word and sacraments gathered around his people. But just look at Jesus' reply Right to Thomas's question, he says, no one comes to the Father except through me. Now, that is also an incredibly strong statement. No one comes to the Father. That clause speaks to the very core of the human relationship with God, this estrangement that human beings constantly find, asking, where is God? Where can we find him? Jesus' statement says, no one comes to God. Instead, they all flee and hide. They run for cover. They seek their own paths. All, like sheep, go astray wherever the path may lead, hiding, covering their sin, staying away from God, their Creator and Redeemer. It isn't humans who come to God, but God who comes and seeks and saves the lost. That's what Jesus is doing in his entire ministry. He's not out in front trailblazing a path for you to find or not. He leaves the path and comes right to you. He comes. After he goes, he goes to prepare a place. But then he says that he comes again to bring you to himself so that where he is, you will be also. See, the path is not a place. You don't go to a new place, but you find yourself in Christ. Where God is, there is the mansion. There is the inheritance. And when he comes to you and indwells with you, there you have it. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. The Father comes and dwells with us. It's that little except that is such an important word. For there is no more seeking and no more secret paths to find, no more self-chosen faith journey adventures. There is no way for us to come to the Father except that gracious, glorious little word that Jesus used, except in Jesus Christ. No one comes to the Father. Except in Jesus Christ, He comes to them all. And he is going to come to bring us to the Father without counting our sins and trespasses against us. I rather expect this is the entire point of this passage. Do not let your hearts be troubled. There is nothing you need to do, nothing you need to find. There's nothing else you need to be in order for Christ to come and find you. I will go and prepare a place for you to be with the Father, he says. Yes, you will betray me. You will deny me. You will sin against me. And I am going to take your sin, forgive your sin, and give you my place in the Father's house, my place dwelling with the Father. It's entirely too gracious. And that's exactly how God likes to give his gifts, extravagantly, without measure, to those who do not deserve. So that we would have the glory of God as our guide. Furthermore, it's exactly the right sort of gift for hearts that are troubled, that are worried, that are heavy-burdened. It's the kind of gift that comes when we hear that there is nothing more that you need to do, and there is nothing that you can do, but only that there is nothing that Jesus will not do to bring the kingdom to you. Even dying for sinners, nothing he will not do to complete this ministry of manifesting, making known, showing the grace and mercy of God his Father beyond measure. It is this word that brings peace to us. This is our comfort in a harsh world. This is what gives us faith in the midst of all that we experience to trust in God's doing. But Philip, the other disciple, is not finished yet. He wants to see behind the curtain. Jesus says, I'll make a place for you with the Father. But Philip wants to know how we can be sure that the Father will do what Jesus asks. He wants to be sure that Jesus can swing it with the big guy upstairs who's in charge of the mansion. But Jesus shows him and tells him, Do you not see me? The Father and I are one. There is no space between us. There is no space that comes where I might do something that he doesn't want or he would do something that I would not say. There is such an intimate trust between God, whereby Jesus speaks nothing but the promises of what God is already doing in the world. They work together in all things. Jesus doesn't come to make a promise and then have to go to the Father to see if it's okay. Jesus gives the word of what God is doing in the world. That's it. That's all of it. To know Jesus is to know the Father, No one can see God, the Father, except by seeing God, the Son, the Son who is ever so close to the Father's heart that makes him known to all of us. That is what Philip needed to hear. This is what Jesus has to say. What I say is what the Father is doing You can trust my word because even every one of our confirmation students knows that when God makes a promise, he keeps it. Fundamentally, that is what faith is. That what Jesus says God is doing, and we trust in that even when we cannot see it. But even more, the kicker comes because Jesus has brought you then to the Father, brought the kingdom to your doorstep. Then he makes you one with the Father just as his word is in your ear and you are one in Christ. So close are Jesus and the Father that when Jesus brings the kingdom to you, you too are ever so close to God who is ever so close to your own heart. Not far away, not finding, uh, not finding distance for you to come and seek him but close at hand, right here among us. God, given to you in Jesus' own promise. You can't know God out there anywhere except that Christ knows God and Christ knows you. And so, in Jesus Christ, the impossible happens. We actually know God. God in this God-made flesh for us. And so it is his resurrection and his promise to always be near us that gives us confidence that even though he goes to prepare the place, he is not gone. He doesn't say farewell and head off into the wild blue yonder. Instead, he goes so that he can come to give you every confidence that anything that you ask of God, he would do for you. That's how close God is. Anything you ask the Father in Jesus' name, there he is, giving it to you. Do not let your hearts be troubled. As we look into the harshness of the world, also remember that Christ is near and the Father's kingdom is here and there is a place for you with them. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Trust in Christ. For Jesus is not gone, but alive and closer to you than you are, even to your own self. No space between his life and yours. Trust in this. And let this promise overtake the troubles of the world, the hardships that we seek, the weariness of our hearts. And take faith in life from Jesus Christ. Amen.